About uh, 20 years ago, uh, 20 years ago, there's a movie, I think Pixar came out with a movie called A Bug's Life. Um, Bug's Life was basically, it was uh, their, their kind of take at, at trying to help us to understand all of the pitfalls and challenges, the joys and the blessings and the hardship of living life as uh, a bug in this world. I don't think uh, the ancient Israelites or the people of God, the people in both the Old Testament or the New Testament times really needed much of a movie in order to explain a sheep's life because most people in those days uh, were pretty familiar with the life of a sheep. Today, uh, it's not going to be a movie, but I want to briefly talk um, because we're going to hear from uh, several other people as uh, our, our baptism and confirmation rolls around in just a little bit. But I want to talk a little bit in this introduction about a sheep's life and what it's like for them to try and survive and to live and to thrive amidst all of the dangers and the hardships of this world in which they live. You know, um, Jesus constantly, constantly refers to himself as a shepherd throughout the pages of Scripture. The dominant theme, one of the dominant themes of Scripture describing us and describing our relationship with God is that we are sheep and God is a shepherd. Uh, sheep, um, you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of hardship for a sheep to try and survive in the world. There are a lot of people, a lot of a lot of people who wanted to take advantage of, a, of an innocent sheep, an innocent lamb, for whatever different reasons, most of the time in those days, it was because they wanted to steal these sheep and sell their wool in order to make lots of money. And so there were thieves, there were robbers who would try to take the sheep out of their pen. Back in those days, they didn't eat sheep too much. Uh, there wasn't too much in the way of mutton as a delicacy, but it was mainly for shearing sheep, uh, their wool, and selling it in order that they might get rich. And so there was a lot of people who were predators in the form of human beings, thieves and robbers who try and steal the sheep away from the fold uh, and the sheep pen. There was also uh, animals. There were, as you, uh, we talked about last week, mountain lions and bears and wolves that would go looking for sheep. They were the ones who didn't look for them for wool, but they wanted to eat them. They wanted to snack on them. They wanted to capture them in order that they might have a meal. There were all kinds of animals and there are all kinds of dangers, especially at night, which is why it was imperative for a sheep to find their sheep pen every evening when the sun went down. Not only that, but in order for a sheep to survive, uh, they needed food. And as we talked about last week, sheep would eat almost anything. The problem is almost anything can kill a sheep. <clears throat> for example, if they'd be eating, they would find berries that looked... Uh, colorful and they looked beautiful and they looked amazing to eat, only to realize that in eating these either poisonous berries or poisonous weeds, it would lead the sheep to their early demise. Uh, in addition to that, if they, they would find grass to eat, which they love to eat, if the grass was a little bit wet, then the sheep would have an impossible time digesting it, and so their digestive tract would get clogged up and they would not be able to breathe, they would not be able to pass uh, their, uh, the food that they ate, and the sheep would die in that way also. Therefore, there's that powerful analogy that Jesus, that, uh, I'm sorry, the psalmist gives in Psalm 23. He leads me, right, to green pastures in order that he would not only survive, but he might be able to thrive in life. There's a, a Psalm 23 also, beloved hymn, talks of a psalm, talks about how he leads me beside still waters. It was imperative for a sheep to drink water. But the problem with just any water is that they couldn't drink water from a rapidly moving stream because the sound and the sight of moving water would scare the sheep. And so they would get close to it and they would be unable to drink it. They could not drink 
either uh, water that was too hot or too cold. It had to be the perfect temperature. And a lot of times the sheep would wander off to bacteria-laced waters that would lead them to their death. And so the image of the shepherd in Psalm 23, he leads me beside still waters in order that he might find life. The dominant image then of a sheep in this world given to us, comparing us to sheep in order to show this one simple, singular, crucial fact that without a shepherd, a sheep doesn't stand a chance in this world. And so as we look in week four of this series in Rediscovering Jesus, we see that Jesus takes that image of God as a shepherd and he brings it down to our level by telling us that that shepherd that you're all looking for, that shepherd that you need, that shepherd that you're longing for, the critical and crucial longing of every human being, he's saying, I am that good shepherd for you. Let's look at John chapter 10. Uh, And I want to give a job description of a shepherd here. John chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 through 5, and then we're going to go from verses 11 through 18. Verses 1 through 5 we looked at last week, uh, but we're going to review that and then jump down to chapter uh, 10, verse 11, and read until verse 18. This is God's word. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my Father. This is God's word. Job description of a shepherd, I want to bring out three things. But when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, literally what he's saying is, I am the shepherd, comma, the good one. Saying there are a lot of shepherds out there. A lot of shepherds fulfill their responsibility He's saying, but I want to tell you why I'm not just a shepherd who does my duty, but why I am a good shepherd. The shepherd par excellence, the ultimate example of what a shepherd ought to be. So three things I want to look at. If you have walked through the gate pen that is Jesus, and you're in the fold of God, you're in the family of God, then you have a good shepherd. What does that mean? Here's the first thing. You have a shepherd who knows you personally. This is like mind-boggling, right? Seven 
plus billion people in the world, and Jesus is saying, I know you personally. Uh, Livia has a cousin in Tampa, and her, she's got a family, she's got uh, three kids. Uh, but a couple years back, when there was only two of them, she, uh, her, her cousin Esther had a little son. Uh, he was about, probably about two or three years old. His name was Xavier. Uh, Xavier, right, from the X-Men. Okay, Xavier was his name. And we were sleeping over at their house one day, and, and he woke up early in the morning, and he had all his toys in the living room, and he wanted to play with me. I was sitting in the living room, and <clears throat> I was just kind of uh, getting ready to go somewhere. And Xavier comes out, and he brings his toys, but he didn't know who I was, right? He knew that I was related to them. He knew that I was their, you know, family member, uh, but he didn't know who I was really. He didn't know who I was, and so he said to me, person, person. So I kind of ignored him. I didn't know what he was saying. So he, he kept saying, person, can you play with me, person? And so finally, like, there was no one else in the room. So I realized maybe he's talking to me. And so I looked at him, and I said, what did you say, Xavier? He said, will you play with me? I said, Xavier, what's my name? And he's like, I don't know. I don't know your name. It's interesting because it's one of the deepest longings, whether we know it or not. It's one of the deepest longings of a person's soul, isn't it, to be known. That's why whoever it is, right, whoever it is, the question you often ask people is, what's my name? Isn't it, isn't it something beautiful when a professor in a large auditorium calls you by your name? You're like, how does he know who I am? Or someone that you respect deeply, that you're not sure he got to know, she's got to know all of these people, and she calls you by your name. There's something amazing about that. Even like little babies, when they're first starting to talk, there's something about us that wants that baby to know our name. And so we go, and there's like 15 people around them, and you go to them, and you're like, don't worry about all these people. What's my name? You want that baby to know your name because there's something deeply significant about having your, known, uh, your name being known by somebody. Jesus doesn't look at you and say, person, person, you better wake up and go to church. It's what it says in verse 3. He says, uh, the watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You ever wonder, in the midst of a world so big and so vast, does God see me? where I am today. In, in those days, a shepherd, again, if you're bonding with your sheep, there's a, there's a general principle. If you are a, a raiser of sheep, okay, one kind of shepherd will name their sheep, another kind will not. Very simple rule. If you're going to eat your sheep, you don't give them a name. It's very simple. Right? If you're raising chicken, you don't name your chickens. Oh, you know, there's uh, Henny Penny, there's you know, I don't know, Alfred, there's John, oh, and they cut their neck off and we, hey, what are you eating tonight? I'm eating John for, fr- you know, fried chicken for dinner. You don't name an animal if you're going to one day kill it. <clears throat> but as I said, shepherds in those days don't raise sheep in order that they would eat them. They raise them in order that they would sell off their wool. And so shepherds would love and they would care for and they would give names to the sheep that they love. Jesus is saying, we all, like sheep, are living in this world. And he's saying, out of seven billion of you, he's saying, I know your name. Not only do I know your name, I know you intimately, 
and I know you personally in a way that nobody else in this world does. You ever get your hair cut and someone walks up to you and, and you're wondering what they think of it, but you're not wanting to ask them, what do you think of my haircut? And they have this long conversation with you. They're looking at you for like 10 minutes and they don't say anything and they leave. And you're like, huh, I guess they didn't notice. Three weeks later, they're like, oh, did you get your hair cut? Doesn't that make you kind of feel like, oh, they didn't notice me for a couple weeks? Jesus not only knows when you get a haircut, Matthew says he knows when a single hair falls from your head. He knows everything about you, and he cares for you deeply. Do you ever wonder, does God really see me? Like even in this place, a couple hundred people, does God see me in this place? I don't know about you, but I've had uh, times like this, even after I began walking with the Lord. I remember, and, and some of you have heard me say this, but... <clears throat> when I was probably a junior in college, you know, I had I'd committed my life to the Lord as a first year in college and was growing and I had come to just experience an intimate relationship with God, was reading the word and was praying and seeking to be faithful in my discipleship. But there came a point in that journey where my third year in college, I started to feel like I'd been praying for, for a, a few weeks, few months, and I just feel this like absence of God. Feeling this sense in which God seems so far from me. Even to the point where, you know, I'm, I didn't think I was living in, in any sin. I felt like I was being faithful to my devotions. I was involved in community. I was in small group. I was going to church. I was serving him faithfully. But it was just one of those periods in life where I was going through a dark night. And it just felt like the night wasn't lifting. I felt lonely. I felt afraid. I felt like my prayers are not reaching to God. And I remember at that time in the winter uh, of, I, I think it was 1996 or something like that, I was going to a conference, um, a missions conference where 18,000 people from around the world were going to gather. And I was hoping, God, in this place, um, I really do hope and I really do pray that you would meet me here, that I would see you, <coughs> that I would encounter you, uh, that all of these things that I'm feeling, all these fears, all this loneliness, all this wondering would be answered in this place. And we're walking into that auditorium as the campus of University of Illinois basketball stadium. 18,000 people from hundreds of different nations were there. And two things that I felt as I got into that place. The first thing is, man, God is huge. That this many people from this many places would come and worship him. But the second thing I felt in that place was, man, God is huge, but I'm so little in this place. In fact, the very thing that I came to experience, this intimacy with God, God, you see me, you know me, you love me, I felt the exact opposite. In fact, I felt the things that I was feeling back home in Virginia, lonely, small, insignificant, forgotten, but that felt exacerbated because of the fact that there was 18,000 other people in that place with me. And as we began singing these songs of worship, I was trying to sing, I was trying to get into it, but I couldn't help this feeling and couldn't shake this feeling that God, do you even see me where I am? I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm so hidden from your sight right now. And as we were going through that time of worship, there was a song that we started singing, and it talks about how um, I have a maker. He formed my heart before even time began. My life was in his hands. And the chorus goes, he knows 
my name. Uh, he knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls, and he hears me when I call. And, and in that place, for the first time in, in, in probably what was months, it felt like God was saying, I see you. I know you. I know your name. You're not a number. You're not just person. I know who you are. I see you, David Young Kim, born in Arlington, Virginia, July 1st, 19, blah, 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 social security number. It's like, I know you. I see you in that place. And then God just like blew this up in my mind. So I was looking at that screen and just looking at those words. He sees each tear that falls, and he's saying, even though no one else sees those things, even though nobody else may know you, even though no one else may see the tears that fall, he's saying, David, I see you, and I know you. And as I was looking at the words on the screen, um, this PowerPoint background was flashing, and they just started throwing up these different names up there in all of these different languages, right, in in Chinese and Swahili and French and English. And I remember in that moment where... I was just beginning to feel the sense that God was near. I saw uh, my name, David, go across the screen. And I felt like in that place, God was saying, I see everything. I know everything. I see the pain. I see the unspoken sorrow. I know everything that you worry about. And I'm here for you because I'm your father and you have a shepherd. And because you've put your trust in my son, You will never walk alone again. Hey, some of us in here, you need to know this. You need to know this. Some of you, you're here. This is the first time you've been here in months or in years. Maybe the first time ever in your life. You have, there is a God who knows you. And he sees you. And he cares about you. And he knows your name. And he sees your pain. And he hears your cries. And he's saying, you're a sheep in this world, and the singular need of every human being in this place is that you need a shepherd. And Jesus says, I am that good shepherd. I know you personally. That's the first thing. Second thing that we see here, second thing we see, if you have Jesus as your shepherd, then you have a shepherd who guides you intimately. He guides you uh, intimately. It says here, Jesus talks in verse 4, when he has brought out his own, he goes on ahead of him, ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. A sheep is constantly in need of guidance constantly in need of direction to prevent that sheep from going astray, to prevent it from going to harmful places, to destructive places, to going in places that are dangerous for it. And what Jesus is saying is this is what we need also, don't we? Have you ever felt like you're a sheep wandering from the fold of God? We sing that song, don't we? Come thou fount of every blessing, right? My heart, Lord, prone to wander prone to leave the God I love. Our hearts are like that. But you have a shepherd, right, who guides you intimately, not only in the day-to-day, in the moment-to-moment things of life, but when you have these decisions that you need to make. 
I think it's sad because so, so many times we live like we're orphans in this world. We feel like we don't have a father who can guide us and lead us and give us instruction and tell us where we ought to go. We wonder and we stress out so much trying to figure out what am I supposed to do and there's all of these voices that are calling out to us. Can I tell you what Jesus says here is you have a shepherd, okay? You have a shepherd who guides you intimately. He knows you personally. He knows everything about you and he's not going to leave you alone to try and figure out where you're supposed to go. The question is, have you listened to, have you learned to listen to and hear the voice of your shepherd? Because if you have, then he will guide you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear any evil because as long as you know that your shepherd is leading you, that wherever he leads you is a place that you need to go. Do you know the guidance of your shepherd in this intimate kind of way? So many times we go to so many different places. We go to Google. We go to, we go to these websites. We go to these other people. But he's saying, listen, if you have a sheep, okay, you will be able to understand and recognize when a hired hand or a stranger tries to lead you astray. If what someone is telling you is telling you something other than what the good shepherd is telling you, then they're not leading you in the way that you need to go. The question is, have you learned to hear the voice of your shepherd as he guides you and as he leads you lovingly? It used to be a game that we would play <clears throat> at youth retreats where uh, we would form a square, four different teams that we'd form a square, and people would be lined up in each team, and then we'd bring four people into the middle, and they would be the sheep. And the sheep would uh, go into the middle, we would blindfold them and spin them all around, and then we would have them go on their hands and knees like sheep do, and then we would say, go, find your sheep pen. And as they're dizzy and as they're blindfolded, it's really comical to try and watch them find. The only way that the sheep can find it back to their sheep pen is if they listen to the voice of the ones from their sheep pen who are calling them to their place of safety. It would seem pretty easy except for the fact that there are other voices that are calling out to them. And telling them, hey, come this way. This is where you're supposed to go. This is where you're supposed to go. And so they're trying to, other voices trying to lead the, the sheep astray. There are a lot of voices in our lives that are calling you to follow them. Or to call, calling you to go a certain path. Every time, anytime I have a decision to make about my life, about my family, about our church, right, there's something that I want to do. Right? There's my voice and sometimes I confuse that with the voice of the shepherd. Should I move there? Should I go there? Should I go to this college? Should I take this job? Should I date this person? Should I marry this person? Should I accept this uh, proposal? Should I, whatever it is that we have. You ask 10 different people, there are going to be 10 different voices that are calling you to something, and maybe three of those voices might agree on something, four of these voices might agree on something. How do you know what's the right voice? How do you know what's the right choice to take? My voice, my wife's voice, my family's voice, my parents' voice, my dad's voice, my friends, my, all of these different things, the voice and the beck and call of, and the lure of money and temptation, because you have a shepherd who guides you intimately if you would give him the opportunity to speak into your heart and to lead you. How do you learn to hear the voice of the shepherd? It's the same way that you learn to hear the voice of anybody, by allowing them to speak to you, by becoming a student of his or her voice, by getting into a habit of listening to the voice of the shepherd 
And through familiarity with the shepherd's voice, a sheep immediately begins to recognize when a stranger is trying to lead them away from their true shepherd. You have a shepherd who guides you in those important decisions, in those huge decisions. Our first place to go doesn't need to be our parents, doesn't need to be our pastor, doesn't need to be our friends, our teachers. The first place ought to be, let's hear, let's listen to, let's give ourselves to the voice of the good shepherd. And then as we begin to get a sense, then we ask other people who are prayerful, Godly people seeking the wisdom of God, grounded in the word of God, so that the springs from which their wisdom and counsel comes are not worldly springs, but come from intimacy with the shepherd as well. You've got a shepherd who wants to lead you so that you would not be led astray. That's the second thing. If you've entered through the sheep pen, this is what you have. A shepherd who will know you personally and who will guide you intimately. But here's the last thing. You have a shepherd who calls you to bring other flock into the fold of God. If you're a follower of Christ, here's what that means. This intimacy that I have with Jesus, this guidance, these blessings, all the things that I have in my heart were not put there to stay. The reason why you have known Jesus is in order that you might make him known to other people. There is no such thing as a disciple who is not missional. There's no such thing as a non-evangelistic child of God. If you know him, then you'll make him known. If you've received salvation, then you'll help others to receive salvation. This is what it says in verse 16. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. What Jesus is saying to the Israelites, to the Jewish people there, he's saying, yeah, you guys have come into the sheep pen if by virtue of faith you've believed in me. But there are other sheep outside of this pen who will one day be brought in and I will have one big flock. He's talking about the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying to the people of God, don't get comfortable because you're in the fold of God. Don't be comfortable because you're a sheep whose voice Uh, whose name is known by the shepherd. Don't be comfortable because you have all of these blessings of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and you're being changed from glory to glory into the image of Jesus. Don't be comfortable with that. He's saying, listen, if you're here in church, don't be comfortable just because you're here. He says, if you're here, then you've been sent on mission, and Jesus says, I have other sheep, and they will hear my voice. There's that sense of urgency and that sense of longing to say, if there are, as long as there are other sheep, then we've got to be, we've got to be moving in order to bring them into the sheep pen. This is the basis for and the confidence for the evangelism that we do. There are other sheep who have not yet been brought in. It's why our house churches need to be active about praying for the lost who don't know Jesus. It's why our radars and our antennas need to be up in thinking about people who don't know the Lord God. And instead of saying, well, I don't want to risk this relationship by inviting them to church, you risk their eternity by not inviting them into a relationship with the shepherd. He's saying, I have other sheep, and as long as you give them the opportunity to hear my voice, there are some that are going to hear and they're going to respond to the voice of the shepherd and they will be brought in. He says, do you understand 
That if you know and you rediscover Jesus, then part and parcel of the life of Christ is that you've been sent on mission for the kingdom of God. Wherever we go, right, last night Olive and I were celebrating our anniversary, we had a meal and, and there was this guy that we were talking to sitting next to us and the whole time, man, in our hearts we're thinking we need, to, we need to bring this guy to come to know the Lord God. So we're inviting him to church, we're inviting him to, to the things of God. Right? And wherever it is, whatever the situation is, we're always on our lookout to see people who are lost and who don't know him. I watched this movie, um, this uh, war movie called, uh, what was that movie called? Uh, Hacksaw Ridge, right? Hacksaw Ridge, crazy, loud, violent movie about war. It's about this guy named Desmond Doss back in World War II. He was a pacifist, Seventh-day Adventist, so he did not uh, touch weapons, and he went through a lot of stuff, conscientious objector, but he wanted to be involved in serving his country. He felt like that was his God-given duty, but he didn't want to kill people. And so instead of killing people, he said, I want to give life, and so he became a combat medic, combat medic, uh, during World War, World War II. And so this climactic scene, and the, the, the name of the movie comes from this um, Battle of Okinawa, and the, and the, and the most, important, uh, most important stronghold was called, uh, nicknamed Hacksaw Ridge, huge cliff that falls off, and the American troops were stationed there, and um, they, they did pretty well in this one, one night. But overnight, the Japanese people came, and they just kind of blew them, obliterated them, booby traps everywhere, rifles, sneak attack, and they just uh, took out all of these Americans, so many of these American troops. And so uh, the Americans had to retreat and go back down off of Hacksaw Ridge back to safety. And as that order was given, um, this medic, Desmond Doss, um, saw so many of his squad members. They'd been beat up. They'd been hit with gunfire. They were laid out. And he said he knew, he knew that if he left them there, that these people that he had done life with, we're going to die on top of Hacksaw Ridge. And so, as the evacuation order was given, he said, but I still got people up here. I still got people up here. And so he hid underneath bodies. He hid underneath the ash and, and, and the gravel as bullets flew by. And each time the gunfire would stop, he would take one of his men and he would rappel them down Hacksaw Ridge and as the rest of his squadron, battalion, whatever it is, looked up and they saw one of their people coming down, they're like, I thought he was dead. And they see one of the men rappelling down. And so as each one goes down, Desmond Doss says, there's one more I've got to save. As he goes back up, he's like, Lord, just help me get one more. Lord, help me get one more. He would find another one. And he would say, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to leave you. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. You're going to see your wife. You're going to see your kids. You're going to make it. And he would pick them up, and he would repel them down. And each time, they're like, I thought he was dead. And one by one, he would send them down, praying each time, Lord, help me get one more. Help me to save one more. So even this scene where um, this Japanese man, Japanese soldier, Doss comes upon him, and the guy is scared to death. He thinks he's going to kill him. And he says, you've got this sickness, and he gives him a shot. He says, there, you're going to live. And this guy looks up, and his eyes are wide open. He's like, why did he not kill me? Why did he not kill me? In all, 75 people were saved 
by this singular act of bravery because he said, just Lord, help me just get one more. Just get one more. Jesus says, I've got other sheep. Can you just go and fight and pray for just one more? Just one more. You look them in the eye and you say, I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you die. Your family who put their trust in Christ, you're going to see them again. I'm not going to let you die. I'm not going to let you go. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. Is that not worth risking your reputation for? Is that not worth risking a friendship for so that somebody could spend an eternity with you in, in heaven with Christ? Jesus says, I've got other sheep. Our prayer is, Lord, help me just get one more. Let me just get one more. Jesus says, this is what all good shepherds say. He says, let me tell you, though, why. I'm a good shepherd. See, this is what he says at the end of this passage. In verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, he says the same thing. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life. Verse 11, this is the climax. I am the good shepherd. What makes him good? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. There are accounts of heroic bravery among shepherds. In fact, in the Bible even, Amos 3.12, Amos talks about how the shepherd will rip the ear or rip two of the legs of a sheep away from the mouth of a lion. Says, this is what it means. A shepherd puts his life on the line in order to protect his sheep. David, King David, before he was a king, when he was a shepherd, said, all night I fought against bears and lions in order to protect my sheep. There are times when shepherds will need to put themselves on the line for the sake of the sheep. But here's what Jesus does. Literally and voluntarily, Nobody takes his life. He didn't stand there and get mauled by wolves. He said, I will lay down my life for my sheep. One of the other purposes of sheep was that they were raised so that on the Passover, they would be slaughtered in order to picture forth the fact that the blood of another could replace our sinful blood in order that we might be saved Hebrews tells us that the blood of thousands of animals could never save us from the penalty of our sin. And so here Jesus, the good shepherd, takes upon himself the clothing of a sheep and like a lamb led to the slaughter is silent. Jesus did not speak a word. We all like sheep had gone astray, each of us wandering and turning to his own way but God the Father, the Lord laid on Jesus, the shepherd, the iniquity of the sheep. And so Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for the sins of every sheep would ever live in this life. But what makes Jesus so good? Here's what he says. Verse 17, I lay down my life only to take it up Again, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down my own accord, and I have authority to lay it down, 
and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. You think about this. If we're all sheep and Jesus here, our good shepherd, I lay down my life for the sheep. And he gets torn up by wolves and lions and bears. What happens then if that shepherd lies mauled amongst a flock of sheep? Then the wolves will have their heyday with us. And it does nothing for us if the good shepherd laid down his life. If he laid down his life for us and it matters nothing that he knows our name and that he guides us intimately, he can't do that if he's dead. But Jesus says, I not only lay down my life, but I take it up again. We have a good shepherd with a capital G and a capital S. He did not just lay down his life and die impotent to do anything in the midst of our struggles today. But he rose again victorious, and he rises as a conquering king. And he says to you and to me, wherever you are, you feel lost, you feel hopeless, you feel confused, you feel hurt in this world, you feel alone. He stands up and he says, I am the good shepherd, and I know you, and I will lead you, and I will guide you, and I'll make sure that you make it safely home. This is our inheritance. He's our good shepherd, and we are the people under his care. Let's pray. As we pray, as we pray and respond to the word of God, if you have not yet put your trust in Jesus Christ to be your savior and to be your master, I want to encourage you to make that decision right now. Apart from him, you are a shepherdless sheep left alone in this world. But with him, you can live not only to survive this life, but to thrive in this life for the glory of God. Let's spend a minute right now in prayer. Let's spend a minute in prayer right now as we respond to his word, and then uh, we're going to move into a time of baptism and, and confirmation. But let's spend a couple moments just quietly in prayer right now. Can we do that? Father in heaven, we uh, confess that our hearts indeed are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. But thank you that while we were wandering from you, straying from you, lost and hopeless, that you sent the good shepherd into our world to not only know us, not only to guide us, not only to lay down his life for us, but to take it up again in order that we might know you and to be loved and known by you. 
Father, in knowing you, but we understand that there are so many sheep outside of the fold of God living in danger. We pray that you would help us. Lord, as long as I can get just one more, Lord, help me get one more. Let that be our cry. Let that be our cry. We thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name.